May it please the listeners. My name is Rich Schoenstein, and this is Law Brief, and I am super excited because I have with me today a judge and a dean of the Maurice Dean School of Law at Hofstra University, Judge Gail Prudenti. Hello, Judge. How are you doing? I am doing great, Rich, and I just want to thank you and Tartakritsky and Drogan for all of your support, but for inviting me here today and to giving me the opportunity to speak with you and your listeners. Yeah, well, I love talking about Hofstra, as we will discuss. It is my alma mater for law school as well, so I have a vested interest. But let me start off for our audience. I don't usually do this. I usually have the guests do their own brag, but I know you're not like that. So I'm going to give the audience a little bit of an idea of your background. Judge Prudente has had a long and distinguished career. She was elected to the New York State Supreme Court in 1991. She was elected to the Surrogate Court of Suffolk County in 1995, the first woman elected to that position. You're going to hear a lot of that in this description. In 1999, She was named surrogate of Suffolk County and was appointed as a district administrative judge. She became the first woman from Suffolk County to serve as an associate justice of the appellate division for the second judicial apartment. And in 2002, she was appointed by Governor Pataki as presiding justice of the appellate division, second judicial department. Again, first woman to serve in that role. In 2011, she was designated to the Court of Appeals and heard appeals and related motions in the case arising from the World Trade Center bombing litigation. She was also appointed that year Chief Administrative Judge of the Courts of New York State, where she served for several years. And then if I'm right, Judge, you joined Hofstra in 2015 as Executive Director of the Center for Children, Families, and the Law and you became dean of the law school in 2017. How'd I do? Did I get any of that right? Exactly right. That's exactly right, Rich. And like the way I like to put it, I've been practicing long, longer than I would like to admit to anyone. (laughs) Well, those are very prestigious roles. And I know as an alum, we were so happy when you came to the law school and we were so happy when you were appointed dean. And uh, we've been really happy to watch you in that role over the last five years. Now, the reason we're gathered here today is because the Hofstra School of Law is 50 years old and has been for the past year or so celebrating that. So let's talk right now for people who don't know much about Hofstra Law. Let's talk about the law school itself. Does that make a good place to start? Sounds perfect. All right. So first of all, what can you tell us about the faculty at Hofstra Law as a group? Well, first, you know, to put in perspective for people who don't know about Hofstra, and and I think that when I took the deep dive and looked into coming to Hofstra, I learned so much about it that I really wasn't aware. So to try to help everyone who's listening, I have to say not only is Hofstra 50 years old, but it is a part of a vibrant university, and that's why I came to Hofstra. In 1970, it was innovative, it had this pioneering spirit, and it was an exciting place to come. One of the first 
schools in the country, and I wasn't aware of this until I came to Hofstra, that, that really took clinical education and brought it into a law school curriculum. And even today, known for its clinics throughout nationally, and actually I've even gotten a couple calls from England and Scotland asking me about clinical and experiential learning here at Hofstra. The class was small, it was about 72 students, and at that time, only 14 of them were women. So it's really interesting. So what Hashta did is it built the faculty to answer your question directly. So it was very accomplished and really does a lot of scholarly work. Most of their summers are devoted to receiving grants where they write and publish their scholarship. And they are ranked 63 nationally out of 200 plus law schools for their scholarship and its impact. They work very hard in their clinics. They work very hard in the trial advocacy program, the externship programs. And I'm proud to tell you over the last five years, continuing in that spirit, we have partnered with the medical school the Graduate School of Nursing, the Business School, and the Engineering School on interdisciplinary programs to once again put us at at the forefront of legal education. Let me follow up with you. I know that the clinical programs and experiential learning really distinguish Hofstra from its competition What can you tell us about those efforts as they exist right now? What's going on at the school? Well, Hofstra, I have to say, has only maintained or has additional clinics. We right now have eight clinical programs and 10 centers of excellence. And we have operated a legal hand call-in center serving the communities of Nassau and Suffolk. Legal Hand is an interesting organization that provides free information and assistance to people who visit us online, they visit us telephonically, and they tell us about their problems, and then we point them in the right direction. We have been able to assist 750 Long Islanders just in the last year, and I bring this up just as an example of continuing the efforts to be part of the community and add additional clinical programs. But it's a great example because, if I understand the program right, you have your students giving hands-on legal help to people in the community who actually need it. So it's, it's fantastic for the students, and it's great for the community, right? Isn't that the idea? That is the idea, and supervised by two excellent lawyers that are right there with them when they're answering the questions. So that's fabulous, too. We were recognized by the White House as one of 99 schools that was in the forefront of helping their community and dealing with difficult times during the pandemic, especially with regard to landlord and tenant matter. So... I have to say that, as you said, a really important program that helps the community, but also gives that hands-on experience to our, as I love to refer them, our next generation of lawyers in training and counselors in training. And some other programs that we have 
that we have taken over that we have seen again with this great change in the practice of law, in the legal community and legal education, our paralegal certificate program, to the best of my knowledge, one of the only law schools in the country to offer the certificate. It's not a continuing education certificate. They are embedded here at the law school and we have doubled our enrollment and we have more potential employers and lawyers who are interested in in our paralegal program. Actually, we have more job openings than we have paralegals. And that's with, we graduate now approximately 100 a year, 100, 100 new paralegal programs. That's tremendous. And, and I, know, I know too, Judge, that the law school is very focused, and I'd like you to talk a little bit about legal technology, which has changed so much since I've been practicing. I got to my first law firm and there wasn't a computer on my desk. <laughs> so that was a while ago. So what is the law school doing these days in the area of legal tech? Well, I have to say I was very lucky because when I came to Hofstra, there was a fabulous professor, Professor Vern Walker, and he had started an artificial intelligence lab. And I was greatly interested in it. I have seen, you know, from the court system point of view, the value of technology. And I immediately got to know him and find out all the wonderful things that the artificial intelligence lab has doing. So we've expanded those efforts. We've expanded those efforts with the engineering school. We do work with Carnegie Mellon, University of Pittsburgh, and uh, University of Quebec. And we create applications that can help the underserved community and access to justice issues. We have students that are students interns there and do fabulous. At the same time, what we added to the artificial intelligence program and our technology program is five or six courses from learning how to try a case exclusively using technology to cybersecurity, to Bitcoin, to the basics of filing, the basics of filing documents with the court system, e-filing. So we continue to grow in these efforts. And I have to say the alumni has been wonderful because they have seen as well how technology is changing the practice. And they have been very generous and very gracious to us. We have updated our courtroom. We now call it the courtroom of the future with the most updated technology and that's due to the largest of alums, as well as adding and being partners with DOOR and other members of the tech community that has helped us increase our offerings here at the law school. That's tremendous. I interact with the law school a lot, as you know. Yes. And I'm always impressed by the really diverse and great group of students you have in there. And I'm always impressed by what my fellow alumni are out doing in the world. Hofstra has built a very significant and accomplished alumni base out practicing in the United States. Would you agree with that? Oh, you know, it is absolutely incredible when you take a good hard look at Hofstra law alumni. They represent some of the most accomplished lawyers 
act in the United States and actually in international law. I have to say, I myself, who know plenty of lawyers and knew plenty of lawyers, didn't realize the pedigree of hostile law alums. And that's what gave the impetus and the idea for honoring them, for honoring them not only for their involvement with the school, but for their professional accomplishments that were so many. I have to say, when we announced that we were going to have a Hall of Fame, which will be ongoing, we're just inducting 50 right now of alums who were nominated from around the country to be our honorees at our 50th anniversary gala, outstanding, 50 outstanding alums, as well as 16 alumni members of the judiciary from the federal bench and from the state court bench and from all of the courts have risen to positions that are greatly respected. So it's a wonderful thing. I'm very honored to be one of the first 50 inductees into the Hall of Fame. We have the ceremony coming up in about a week, and I'm really looking forward to it. It's so well-deserved and so incorporated in our community, but so well-respected in the legal community. Well, thank you so much. You know, when I got the news, which surprised me a little bit, the first thing I thought is, anyone who's ever seen me throw a ball knows this is the only way I was ever going to get in the Hall of Fame. And then I looked <laughs> and then I looked at the list and it's an amazing list as a really impressive and accomplished. I mean, there's, you know, I, I don't want to start naming names because I'll leave people out, but it's an exactly. incredible, it's an incredible list of people to go in with. And I'm frankly probably overly proud about the whole thing and looking forward to it. I had a wonderful time at Hofstra Law. My three years there are really among the highlights of my adult life. I just had such a good time in law school and at Hofstra in particular. So looking forward, tell us what lies ahead now for Hofstra Law. Well, the interesting part, and I think some of my friends who are Hofstra Law are going to be happy to hear this. We are ending a capital campaign. I started a capital campaign when I came to Hofstra to do law to do the things that we wanted to do to move our law school into the future. So that capital campaign at the end of this fiscal year will come to an end. But basically, I see it at the celebration of our Great Hall of Fame at the Whitney Museum. I see that just about the end of that campaign. So what's that campaign going to enable us to do? It's going to enable us to go great places and do great things. I call it Hofstra 2.0, which is really, really a focus on where are we going? What are we doing? What's legal education all about? And I have to tell you, what I think it's all about is pathways to success. Pathways to success that make our students really the valuable students. The students at Tartakrinsky's don't you're going to want to hire, okay, as well as so many others, whether it be in law and tech as we continue to move forward in, in that area, whether it be in our medical legal partnership with Northwell, which has gone very well, and that's both with the hospital and the medical school, where we help, we have young lawyers, uh, you know, in training, on young doctors in training, working together under supervision of fabulous professionals, finding out the sources of legal problems 
symptoms that adversely affect health. So we're in the clinics with them. We do programs with them. We teach them how to be professional witnesses. We have integrated ourselves into their community with the Graduate School of Nursing. Many of the nurse practitioners want, and physicians assistants want to become lawyers, so we're working in that area. In law and technology, we continue to partner with tech companies. We're going out into the community with the Long Island Real Estate Group, which is fabulous. Real estate lawyers, developers, architects, engineers, we have a new partnership that we're working on, LIRAG at Work, where our students get that hands-on experience. And if you're going to practice law in the metropolitan area, you should know about Long Island and about what's needed as far as advancement and changes in real estate practice. So we are doing wonderful things. We have been found by pre-law, and many of you may not even know what pre-law magazine is, but it is a magazine that goes to all pre-law college and university advisors. And we have been named the top 25 innovative law schools in the country. We are rated an A-plus in trial advocacy, an A-plus in family law. Our Center for Children and Family Laws is soon to have a name by be named and continue its good work, whether it be in guardianship or whether it be helping families with developmentally disabled or delayed children, or whether it be divorce mediation, we continue to move forward. So I think you can see this is just a snippet of what the next phase, the hospital law strategic plan 2.0 is going to look like over the next few years. We have a lot of work to do, and we know that. And we're ready, willing, and able. And this campaign, which has raised millions and millions and millions of dollars, will allow us to get where our alums would like to see us. I think what makes Hofstra Law graduates and our Hofstra Law lawyers in training very special is the fact that they're business savvy, tech fluent, and highly specialized. That all sounds fantastic. You mentioned so many things there, the trial advocacy stuff near and dear to my heart. Those programs were great 30 years ago, and I'm sure they're better now. Since I have you for a few minutes, and since you were the chief administrative judge for the state of New York, I thought I would ask you a little bit about the current state of the New York courts. You mentioned Chief Judge DeFiori, who I'm a big fan of, and obviously the last two years has been just a, an unreal time for the courts to have to navigate through. I mean, literally to have to shut their doors and then reopen and go virtual. So, you know, what are your thoughts about how the courts were able to navigate those circumstances? Well, obviously, whether it be the courts, whether it be business, whether it be a university or law school environment, when I was the chief administrative judge, I used to say my job was challenging. But in the times that we're living in, and especially for this chief judge, she has dealt with crisis management. And all of us, all of us are so anxious to get back to some sense of normality. And I think she's tried very, very hard to do that. But what I think she's also found is that um, there's a new normal, and that new normal is flexibility, whether it's having conferences by Zoom or whether it's redoing 
the way that the court calendars are being handled or whether it, it is just attacking the oldest cases with an oldest case calendar, an oldest trial calendar. It has to be done and it has to be done immediately. And I think when she started out, that's what her excellence program was all about. So I think she'll go back to those core values. And I think she already is. I also think the courts are so hard for the average person to navigate that she has proposed a bill. I've always been an advocate for court simplification. I've always been an advocate for the Fifth Department. I think we need to deliver legal services in a more understandable and in a more timely fashion. I think we have to open the courts. I think we have to get back to business. And I think she's trying very, very, very hard to do that under a very difficult set of circumstances. The other thing I think we have to remember about flexibility is people who never wanted to be on Zoom or people who never wanted to work from home or people who never wanted a hybrid schedule, including students, are now demanding that and demanding changes. So that's all being navigated, I know, at the moment as well. I believe major change has to come. I believe major changes on on the way, whether it be for a university, whether it be for a law school, or whether it be for a court system. The court system has to address the backlog. It has to get cases heard in a timely fashion. It has to get lawyers back to the courthouse and back to work in whatever form that's going to be in. And I think that is what is going to grow for the business community, for the legal community. That is what's going to bring back some sense of optimism for the future. Right. And you say back to the courthouse, but you would agree, I think you you did agree that virtual proceedings and conferences, I mean, they are here to stay, but this is yes. going to be the way we do business. Yes. Uh, the bu- way we do business is going to change. But what I'm hearing from my friends who practice law, and I have lots of them, okay, my husband practices law in a large firm on Long Island. What I'm hearing from everyone is this, that the conferences work well. You know, the conferences on Zoom work well. It's a good way to keep control over what's going on in the proceedings or whatever. But as far as getting cases tried in a timely fashion, many, many lawyers want to go back to the courthouse because they think that brings that sense of urgency, that get it done, whatever. So I really see that hybrid situation. I think the trials have to be focused on, because you and I both know from our years in the court system, the easiest way to get a matter resolved sometimes is just ready for trial, okay? You know, ready for, and we all have to be dedicated, I think, to that mantra to move to move the legal community forward and, and especially the court system forward. I think that virtual conferences are great. They actually provide a lot of flexibility. You don't have to go down to the court for the whole morning. But I will say I've tried a few cases virtually, would prefer to go back to the courthouse. And some of the oral arguments, you know, I did a three-hour oral argument on a summary judgment motion a couple weeks ago on the computer screen I would rather be down in a courtroom with the judge myself and and walking around with my charts and my graphics and all that nonsense than on a computer screen. It's it's a little harder. Well, you know, 
you have said the same thing to me that my husband says to me, that my <laughs> partner say to me, that, you know, so I totally, I totally understand that dynamic. Like there's a place and I think it will be helpful to move things along, whether it be conferences or trials, but I think it's incumbent to jumpstart. Once again, jumpstart trials. I think trials are difficult, very, very difficult to have in a setting that's not in a courtroom. Well, I appreciate your perspective on those issues. And again, thank you so much for joining us. So speaking of trials, we usually finish these episodes with a closing argument. So I don't think I prepared you for this, but I'll put you on the spot. Closing argument. Why Hofstra? Why Hofstra? Because it's part of a vibrant university that's moving forward. The law school is, as far as I am concerned, a place of constant innovation. Hire Hofstra students because they're ahead of the curve. They're ready to go to court. They are special people. And come to Hofstra because you're comfortable and that's what you want. There's a lot of wonderful law schools and there's a lot of wonderful universities in this country. We're blessed. I went to law school out of the country and I feel very, very blessed as well. Although Hofstra is my home law school. But I would say that you have to be comfortable when you go to law school and you have to get ready. And in order to get ready and to stand out from the crowd, you need to have certain talents and skills that others don't have. And you can get those talents and skills at Hofstra Law. All right. I like that very much. Judge Dean Gail Prudenti, the Judge Dean, thank you so much. It's great to have you at the helm of Hofstra. And it was great to have you here today. And I look forward to seeing you at the Whitney in a week. I'm very much looking forward to it and to celebrating with you and to celebrating all of your accomplishments in your law firm as well. Thank you again for listening to Law Brief. Now here's something lawyerly, a disclaimer. We are not your lawyers. We do not have an attorney-client relationship, and this podcast does not constitute legal advice. If you need legal advice, you should contact and engage counsel of your own choosing who can best address your own situation and particular needs. You can find more information about our law firm, me, and many of our guests at our website, www.tartarkrinsky.com. We are a mid-size, full-service firm located in New York City and New Jersey. If you want to contact us for any reason, be it comments, topic ideas, or anything else, you can email us at podcast at You can also follow this podcast on iTunes, among other places, and we would very much appreciate it if you rate or review us. I'm Rich Schoenstein, and this was Law Brief. Mm-hmm.